So when did you see um when did you see X Men? Um, I saw it the day after we talked. I think I think I was at work and then um I got off a little bit early, so I went to see it in three D for free. Nice. And uh, I had the theater to myself the entire. Oh man, thing. it was pretty nice. How long after the release was it? Put this was the opening weekend. Shit, and it was empty? Yeah. Was it a really late showing? or like... It was 7 o'clock or something. Seven 5 or 7. 7 p.m.? Yeah. I mean, that should be that should be a busy time. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Um, a part of it is that my theater... It used to be that there, there's another theater in my town that is oh, technically right. better. And, okay. And it used to be that we would have different movies so if we got x-men they would not get x-men but right. fox kind of uh opened the floodgate when they said that they weren't going to do that anymore with their movies and now everybody's doing it for the most part everyone yeah. but disney i feel like and i can kind of so, understand that it's like you want to get the most bombs in seats that you can regardless of where they go to see it well here's what happens like i i work for a big chain that i will not disclose and <laughs> the other theater is a big chain and what happened was um, these big, those big chains, and then a th the third big chain. I'll name the three theater, like the three companies that were kind of involved in this. It's like AMC, Regal, and Cinemark. Kind of did this thing where they would use those clearance um rules and guidelines to hmm. uh box out local independent theaters that uh weren't owned by big chains and didn't have the money. So they couldn't book the big movies, and then they would force a lot of them out of business oh, and then take the market move. over, which is real shitty. It's and all three companies move. were doing it. And so there was like a, a, bit, a big lawsuit going on, and then Fox was like – I think maybe even because of the how well Deadpool did that they were just like, we're not going to limit the amount of screens that our movie can be seen on anymore, yeah. and we're not going to let them do this, so we're just going to let it everywhere have it mm -hmm. and the problem with that is that now my theater has just a, a ridiculous amount of show times for big movies that are playing right down the street and it's it's frustrating because they're mm -hmm. not there's no reason for us to have that many show times for a movie that's playing somewhere else like yeah we should i feel like we should we have more theaters than the other one and we could retain more stuff but instead like both theaters only have like five new movies now it's getting mm. it's ridiculous like neither I mean, one could, of them knows what they're doing yeah they they could even just like alternate screen times so you, you can have the same movie on at the same cinemas on the same day but you could like, have one that starts like cinema a could have like one o'clock uh showing uh a five o'clock showing and like a nine o'clock showing and then cinema b could have like a, a three and a seven and a ten mm. And that way, depending on people's schedules, they would go to one or the other. Like, that would be a fair way of doing it. The weird mm -hmm. thing is that America seems to have that system in place or had that system in place where certain chains would have movies and other ones wouldn't. That's not a model that we see very often in the UK. Like, whenever I go to watch a movie, I can be fairly certain that regardless of whatever movie theatre I go to, whether it's Odeon Chelmsford or um, Empire in Basildon, or if I really want to push the boat out and go all the way to uh, London and watch it somewhere like Odeon or, you know, an Empire or uh, somewhere like that, they will all have that movie 
on their screen regardless. Like, you know, the, the two closest to me are Chelmsford and Basildon, and both of those theatres will have 99% of the same movies. Normally, the only time that you don't find the same movie on both cinemas is when it's a smaller film. Like, uh, for example, recently uh, Grimsby w- was out in the UK, and that movie, I think we saw it in Basildon, and it wasn't even showing in Chelmsford. And the reason for that was, I think it was just a small movie, and they didn't want to put too much money into it, uh, because they, they were worried that they would overextend themselves. So it was on limited release. And so because uh, Basildon had uh, a huge number of screens, I think it, it just worked out better to put it on there, rather than Chelmsford, where they've only got like eight screens. Basildon's got like double that, at least. They've got like 16, plus the smaller kind of impact viewing um, rooms, which is kind of like having a giant 100-inch plasma in in your room and having about 100 seats. It's a really cool experience, the impact ones, actually. Like, just to further digress, it's kind of like IMAX, but on a much smaller scale. So even though it's a smaller screen, because you are so much closer to it, and because there's only like 100 people in, in your little screening room, it feels like a little private screening room, almost like the ones that you see in movies like uh, The Aviator or something like that. Uh, it's a really cool idea, and it means that they can show a lot smaller movies without having to worry about the um, th- uh, the you know the concerns of having a a five hundred seater or a thousand seater um, cinema screen and having about ten people in there. They can cut their losses by putting these smaller productions in the smaller screens, but you get the big experience. It's really cool. That makes sense. Yeah, but it, it's very strange that like two cultures that have such similarities and we always kind of notice that we have these odd little differences between our cultures but like it just feels like that gap is shrinking all of the time and yet there are so many little things that are completely different from your country to mine like sales tax that's a really weird fucking thing like in the UK if you see something is £10.99 you will pay Ten pounds and ninety nine pence. If you go to the US and you see something's ten dollars, you end up paying like ten dollars and eighty cents. Yeah. It's just really sh- fucking strange to me. It's like why can't you just include the tax on the, you know, on the price tag? It's so weird. But there you go. I mean, that's just one of those little foibles that I noticed while I was over there. But, yeah, um, no, it's yeah. I'm I'm getting really like fed up with a lot of the <laughs> shit that we do here. That seems to not be a thing anywhere else and is really fucking stupid and harmful mm. in a lot of ways. Like, gun violence is obviously one thing that's just so fucking stupid and it makes yeah. me so angry that we're just, like, not able to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, And, like, all kinds of other, like, health regulations and, you know, school and shit. It just seems like we have... Just the worst systems, and yet we always act like we've got got it completely made. Like we know exactly what we're doing, and I think it's almost never the case. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of frustrated recently with my own country. But I, I can get that. I can get that. I, I think yeah. while I was in Orlando, um, I got the definite kind of sense that. Um, you know, when you're a visitor going to Orlando and you're going to Disneyland and Paramount and, you know, Universal or whatever the hell else they got there, it's really like, you know, all sunshine and roses and buttercups and, you know, it's lovely. Um, but when you actually kind of like speak to someone that lives there and they detail 
kind of like the the difficulties of living in a place like that and um how difficult it is in general for like the younger generations to get their foot on the ladder i mean in certain ways it's no better over here like the housing ladder is just ridiculous you cannot afford to buy a house in this country if you're under the age of like 30 you just can't not unless you've got like parents that are willing to give you a lot of money to get you that kind of like first foot on the rung or if you have a high paying job which unfortunately not everybody can get um it, it's just one of those things but anyway look we <laughs> we would we were going to talk about like fun stuff and we've got talking yeah, yeah, about we politics need to get, we're going to have fun so yeah. what's going to happen on this episode of this show so we're going to talk about movies yes first we're going to talk about x-men a little bit fuck yes and then we're going to talk about uh my goal last year i said i was going to make a i was going to do two things i was going to see as many movies as i possibly could and i was also going to um podcast it and I did not do one of those things, which was podcast <laughs> the journey. I tried. It just didn't really work out for me. So um, this is what we're going to do. Uh, I don't know how many we're going to talk. I'm thinking about maybe 20. Um, we're going to go the, the bottom 20 movies on my list of 109 movies I saw last year um, today. And then we're, we'll revisit the list in the future. I don't want to say like a timetable of what, but we're going to no, go no. through the list until we get to the, uh, the top of my list, my favorite movies of last yeah. year. So. I, I think anyone that's listening to this and has listened to previous episodes will know that trying to set out a timetable for this particular show is right. nigh on impossible. Like this is just something that we do for fun. Yeah. And they'll show up whatever. And who knows when we're going to do more, but yeah. Um, It'll be fun. I think we're going to do 20 today. We're going to yeah, do the bottom yeah, yeah. 20, the 20 worst movies I saw last year. So it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I'll say before we go any further, um, if you want to uh, follow the show on Twitter, you can do that at um, the BS cast. I believe it is. I will double check that just to make sure. Um, whenever we have a new episode, we'll, that will get posted on the Twitter feed. And um, that way, you know, you can just be kept up to speed as to what's going on. Yes, it is indeed the BS cast. T-H-E-B-S-C-A-S-T. Uh, you can follow that. Um, and that will just keep you up to date whenever we have a new episode. That will um, be put in the in the podcast... Uh, not in the podcast feed. We don't have one of those yet. We are working on that. Um, it's just a matter of having the time and uh, learning how to do it. I know there are probably people out there that are listening to this thinking it is the easiest thing to do in the world. I am not as tech-savvy as I would like to be. I am learning, but it's just one of those things. It, it's slow and annoying work. But, you know, the, the plan is and has always been that eventually this will get put on iTunes and hopefully there'll be an RSS feed for those of you that don't have iTunes and, uh, you know, you'll be able to listen to it at your own leisure wherever you want. But in the meantime, the best that we can do is uh, to put it up on uh, bscast.com and uh, again, if you follow at the BS cast, uh, we will let you know whenever a new episode has gone up. And that's probably at the moment your easiest way of knowing what's going on. 
but for the time being, we're going to start off by talking about the new X-Men movie, which we did try to start doing at the beginning of the show, but we kind of got off topic yeah. slightly. Um, so you saw it uh, a, a day or two after we talked about it uh, last. Mm-hmm. Um what are your initial thoughts? Because I know that it's been a bit of a, a mixed bag from the, the critics. Yeah, okay, so here's here's what kind of happened. So, um, my I, as I began uh, talking about my experience watching the movie, I, I had the whole theater to myself. Uh, I didn't have to pay for the movie or for the 3D. And I was able to get up and stretch. Uh, my, you know, obviously because I work at the theater, my popcorn and my drinks was discounted, so I was having a good time. And uh, at one point, I, uh, op- I <laughs> pushed the armchairs up and laid down in the theater and just really, you know, had a made it my, made it my home um, for the two and a half hours of this movie. <laughs> I got really comfortable, <laughs> and I had a good time. And then, um, a, like, 24 hours later, I was driving on the highway, and I started thinking about the movie, and then I got... <laughs> and I went, wait a minute! <laughs> and it kind of, like, all kind of flooded in that, like, I was like, wait a minute, this movie doesn't make any sense! <laughs> I mean, there have been plenty of movies that have been that way. We, we've talked about one extensively. Two, maybe, even. Um, normally, those movies, which shall not be named, uh, they don't take anywhere near as long to uh, bring up questions in people's minds. Some of us are happier to put those thoughts to the back of our minds and pretend that they don't exist, um, or just chalk it up as, as, you know, it's a movie, just kind of like let it wash over you. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm interested because I want to know what, your specific thoughts were like what what were these things that started occurring to you in the car okay so so and a lot of it's like big picture stuff like for these movies and i think the reason why it had such a, a time release for me is that like the this movie series this franchise is really fucking confusing but i feel like you can pull it back to um this is what's weird about this is that you had X-Men first class, which was a complete reboot of the X-Men series, kind of a prequel, but basically a reboot. And they did that. And then the guy who made that, is it Matt, Matt Reeves or Matt, it's Matt something. Matt, Matthew Vaughn. Matt, Matthew Vaughn. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Reeves and Matthew Vaughn mixed up all the time. Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, so he made X-Men First Class, which was like a complete reboot of this X-Men franchise that Brian Singer had done two movies on. He left. They made a bad, bad third X-Men movie. Um, and then they made a bad um, – <laughs> they made a bad prequel movie, again, a different one. And then finally they made First Class. And First Class was a movie that – I remember, like, me and my friends, like, sitting around, and we were like, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that, like, was kind of weird in that movie, but it didn't matter because it was so much fun. Like, I had such a good time and, like, really enjoyed the movie. And James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender at the helm of these, I think those two are fantastic, and I love watching them play these characters. So I'm really happy that we got First Class. 
Um, and then we had got Days of Future Past, which was directed by the guy who made the original X-Men movies and brought in the first class actors and the original actors mm. and kind of threw them all together and made this movie somewhere in the middle. And that's where it kind of confused me a little bit because it was like a complete new thing. But at the same time you had Brian Singer who had originally made the movie using his old characters again mm. with these new actors and this new storyline and people generally liked it. I had some more issues with it than I think a lot of people did. Um, I still enjoyed watching it, but I didn't think it was as good as a lot of people did. And then this movie came out and now I'm not really sure what's going on because it doesn't really feel like this is still the same franchise. Like this doesn't feel like the third movie in the first class trilogy. Hmm. Um, it doesn't have a lot in common with that first movie. And one of the things that's like a little off putting about it is that, and I made a post on about this recently on Twitter is that they do the same thing in this movie that they did at the end of first class. Yeah. Which is they find suits and they put them on and then they go fly into this environment and they're like getting ready to fight this thing. And what first first class was cool because it was the first class. Here is the X-Men coming together for the first time. And everything kind of falls apart at the end, but it sets up this idea like, and then and now we're gonna keep going. And then Days of Future Past happened, and in Days of Future Past, they kind of created a completely different timeline that still referenced first class and the other movies, but is like, doesn't feel tied to either one of those movies. And in order to do that, you have to have basically, it's almost like, I, I don't remember the time gap from first class to days of future past. I know there, are, the first class was in sixties days of future past is in the seventies, but now that it's movie has a uh, professor or Charles Xavier with no students in his yeah. house, all mopey. I think the time frame between First Class and Days of Future Past is somewhere between five and ten years. Yeah, somewhere in that area. I think the Cuban Missile Crisis was late 60s. Let's find out. And Nixon was early 70s. But I could be wrong. In fact, it's more than likely that I am. But it's definitely somewhere between five and ten years, which is probably a given since it's 60s to 70s. Okay, the Missile Crisis took place... Okay, so I was gonna say 1944. Nope, that's when. No, the, way too early. The, that's the flashback at the beginning of the movie. 1962. Oh so wow! Okay. That's when it's. So it's starts. it's at least ten years between the and two. And then I movies. think it goes a couple of years, probably, maybe not, because I don't see another year here. And then, hold on. Well, the missile crisis is at the very end of First Class, so that That's would be 1962. That would be 1962. So the movie is set in 62. Is when Days of Future Past. So it's a okay, whole so that's decade 11. jump. And then it's a nine-year gap because I remember them saying nine-year anniversary between. Yeah. So from beginning to end, this is a 20-year period between right. the, all three movies. And what's frustrating is that 
so we've now had like 20 years in this timeline of past and we're now doing the thing that we just that we already did in the first movie which is now the x-men are coming together and it's like well you already did that and you started it and now we're a whole two movies later and now we're doing it again we're just we haven't progressed at all we haven't gotten to the point where we have x-men yet and now and, and it feels kind of haphazardly the way it happens and to me, I feel like there's also this need now to – this is like a weird nitpicky thing. I don't know how you feel about this. This will be interesting to to, to ask and, and see how you feel about it. Hmm. Um, I feel like right now they're trying to – I don't think I personally – I get why you have to put um, Charles in a wheelchair. Like yeah. he has to, I uh-huh. get that, but I didn't think I didn't need to see him bald. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I think I like the look that he has, and he doesn't yeah. look good bald. And I was really bummed that, that we went that, like I know it's iconic and that's what he looks like, but I was like not happy about how he yeah. looked at no, the end I, of the movie. The, the, the thing is, I I think that that's exactly the reason why they did it because he, it is a case that of. This is how he looks. Like his iconic look is wheelchair bald. Um, yeah. He doesn't have an outfit. Like Professor X, for the most part, always wears a suit. So his look is wheelchair bald head. So th- that's what that is. If if you look at uh, what happens in this movie, where they all find the flight suits and they all look very uniform and very kind of first X Men movie without the leather. They they don't look at all unique, which is, yes, it's a problem in a way, but also given the situation and the fact that they just needed something which was going to be safer than just regular clothes, I get why they just were like, oh, look, here's some flight suits, let's use these. Mm-hmm. What I liked at the end of this movie was the fact that they all got given their own unique outfit, and those right. outfits were um, more or less... The outfits that we have seen in the comic books, they referenced in some ways the, um, the the TV show, like the cartoon series that everybody remembers so fondly, like uh, Cyclops, for example. Uh, comic book through to cartoon through to this movie, he's always had that outfit with kind of like the... Um, I, I call them kind of like braces. They go over both shoulders, but then they link into a strap that only links into one side, if that makes any sense. It's almost like a bandolier, like a, a gun holster, but he yeah. has no gun. Um, Storm always had kind of like the cape, and um, uh, you look at um, like Nightcrawler, he had a very kind of like uh, unique outfit. And then obviously you've got um, Mystique as well, and she's got finally, after fucking six movies of her walking around completely naked, which is... This is the only place where you'll see Mystique naked. In all other X-Men fiction, she's wearing an outfit. Normally, it's that white um, outfit that kind of like... I don't know what the name of the top is, but it kind of... It wraps around the neck and then just goes under the arms and it's not a halter top, or maybe it is, I don't know. Some Somebody tell me what it is. But it's like a white outfit that links into um, into like trousers or whatever. And she had that at the end of the film. So the iconic look of the X-Men is there. It's all a little bit darker than the Marvel movies would have. Because the Marvel movies have shown and have made it apparent and, and you know, blatantly apparent 
that if the fans are up for it, they can have as colorful outfits as they want to have. And they can they can also the thing that I appreciate like this was a weird sometimes I I feel like um I and I I feel like we've discussed this before hmm. but I feel like with comic book movies you don't have to completely follow what happens in the comic book with storylines no, and no, ideas of course, I think no. you as long as you stay true to the character it's fine you can do whatever you want you yeah. can get weird with it mm-hmm. and occasionally I find myself very upset with the decision to do exactly what's in the comic book. Namely, um, I feel like one of the, the biggest mistakes um, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 made was uh, killing Gwen Stacy at the end of the movie. Yeah. Because it was so fucking obvious, and we all knew it was going to happen, and I kept thinking it's so telegraphed, and we all know from the comic book that it would be dumb to do it. And they could have easily had Peter save her and have her leave anyways. She's, no. She was already being written out of the movie. You didn't have to do it just because it's in the comic book. Mm. And I felt like they were like, we need to do it because it's in the comic book. Although the way that they did it was really, really good. Like, okay, yeah, I, I get what you're saying that they probably, you would prefer, have preferred if they didn't do it. But well, I was checked out from the moment it happened. And yeah. It's like, yeah, I liked that they did that... Um, the little montage at the end, but it also felt like it was so it was so rushed. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and yeah. now we got to get to the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I get that. It, it's just kind of weird, but yeah, like yeah. to me, it, like I would have been, I would have enjoyed that movie so much more if you just didn't feel the need to do that. You could still get rid of her. You could have them mm-hmm. break up. You could do all kinds of stuff. I didn't think you needed to just recreate that whole thing again, and it mm-hmm. wasn't adding anything new. But the way Civil that they... War, on the <laughs> other hand, one of the things that I think that Civil War did really well was that uh, it wasn't the comic book. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like Civil War is like a really famous comic book, I think because of what happens in it. But what seemed to come out more and more from the people who were talking about Civil War is that the comic book itself is actually kind of bad. It has some good moments, but it's for the most part, the plot is kind of ridiculous. And a lot of people said that was one of the strong parts of Civil War is that it does not follow what happens in the comic book. It uses mm-hmm. the name and the idea, but it doesn't do the same thing at all. Yeah. And um, I think that's what's like, I think when you do that right, you, you can do that right. So I don't mm-hmm. think you need to get rid of Xavier's hair, especially because I think I like that look. I have grown to accept that as <laughs> that's Charles Xavier. That's what it looks like at this point. Yeah, I don't I know. Mean, I, that's the character. Yeah, no, this, I, I get what you're saying. In this series, in this series, yeah. not all of it. No, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I, I think that there is uh, more fans that appreciate or, or wanted to see him that way than there are that didn't, and so they're just playing to the larger audience in that sense. Um, I think there probably would have been a lot of people who would have been disappointed if we didn't see because these these three movies are as much about uh, Xavier's journey from where he started to the finished article as anything else and so this was kind of like a big part of that like it's almost though as though the hair is symbolic of the the final piece of the jigsaw kind of um, falling into place yeah and so now we have this um my my like issue with this whole franchise now at this point is that you're right we now have accurate wardrobe and team 
for an X-Men movie, and it took us three fucking movies just to get to that for a little taste of it at the end of this movie. Like a little taste. Yeah, not even not the final thing. fight. Like a tiny bit. When instead of doing – like this is one of the things that was like why – why is it that we need this sequence where um, – Everybody ends up going to the Weapon X facility. It seems like, one, it seems like Strecker just handpicks the most famous ones. He's like, uh, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Those are the ones that everybody knows. Put them on, put them on my ship. And then <laughs> you have uh, only three. You don't even have, um, what's her name? Jubilee, hmm. who was with those four the whole time. Or the the three, and then they just get rid of her for this final sequence, which seems weird. Um, and you take them to the Weapon X facility for no reason. Um, it's not a part of Apocalypse's plan. It's like a completely incidental thing. Like Apocalypse sends the warheads into space, and then uh, Striker's like, "Well, okay, let's go to the that mansion and let's just kidnap some of these mutants who are completely." not involved in anything that's going on yeah, right but now. I think you're you're skirting over a, a big part of it which is that they say and I don't know how they did it but they they do still give a reason which is we and how they did it escapes me I have no fucking clue but they do say importantly um, we tracked a psychic phenomena to this location and Basically, what they were saying was like, you know, this psychic phenomena was was linked to the event which caused all of these nukes to be launched, and that's why we're here. And and but who is Weapon X? Weapon X is um, Wolverine. No, I know, I know, I didn't mean that. I mean like, who? Why is it that this specific task force? It's not like the government ordered this to happen. It's, it's Striker just like is. Well, yeah, let's but just Stryker, go kidnap some random people, and it's yeah. not even like... But Stryker's got a record over the last couple of movies of just doing stuff to further his own agenda. But what's his agenda? What is he even doing? His he, agenda he just... is Weapon X, and furthermore, <laughs> the Weapon program. Like, Weapon X is only the latest in a long line. The reason he's called Weapon X is because he's the tenth off of the production line. There right, were but... mutants before that that they uh, improved, you know, air quotes and also, there and are here's another thing so this there's a going number back 12 which is very past. important coming up I'll, I'll go into that in a second hold on I want to make sure because I okay while, while you're checking I'll just mention um, weapon X2 or 12 if you want to call it uh, is the female Wolverine who a lot of people are tipping as being the replacement for Hugh Jackman when he decides to hang the claws up <laughs> which will be after his next kind of solo movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are actually up for that, including myself. Like, they could cast basically anyone they want. It's another strong female character within the X-Men universe. And it makes perfect sense within that universe because of the fact that they've already established Riker as a recurring uh, threat within the universe. And okay. I think that's possibly why he gets as much play in this movie as he does, because they realise they need to set him up and the weapon program up so that it makes sense when they finally bring Weapon 12 to the f- the forefront after Hugh Jackman decides he's going. Okay, so let me throw a wrench into that. Absolutely. Here's here's the problem with that, and this was what I was looking at to make sure it was correct. Um, do you remember how Days of Future Past ended? 
Yes. <laughs> okay, what happened? Uh, well, all of the events play out, and then Wolverine wakes up in the near future, and everything has kind of gone back to somewhat normal. Uh, but who? what happens to Wolverine at the end of that movie? The other Wolverine. The one in the 70s. The one in the 70s. Or the 60s. Is, or, yeah, no, 70s. He's dragged up by Stryker and taken to the Weapon X facility, presumably. Oh, is, oh, is he? Because he's yeah. not. It's it's Mystique pretending to be Stryker. Oh, well, she drags him up and then he gets captured a later date and taken to the Weapon X facility. Like, look, there's, not, there's a nine-year yeah, gap. There's nine years between that movie why? and this movie. You can't there's fill no in every single... There's no that at all in this movie. No, but it doesn't why? need to be, does there? No, because it's, it's a nine-year gap. Of course, you know, Mystique, basically, it's intonated at the beginning of this movie that she is basically... Uh, finding mutants and giving them a new name and identity and helping them leave the country or escape where they are. Um, now, it's conceivable that the first mutant that she did that for was Wolverine. And he obviously just fell into either bad habits or he was just sloppy and he was caught by Riker and put in the Weapon X program and that's how he got his adamantium claws. Or, and here's what I think happened. Okay. I think that they just forgot that they did that. <laughs> they were like, and Stryker fishes him out of the water, so that's where he is. No, and they just forgot no, that. no. I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I forgot that it was her and not him that did that. But, exactly, I'm saying they did But too. I'm not the guy that wrote it, and also, I was forgetting the fact that nine years is a long time, and it was perfectly conceivable and possible that within nine years, Mystique fished him out, he went on his merry way, and then nine years later, he turns up having been captured by Stryker again. But it's not inconceivable he, by any same, means. He's in the same place that he would be in if you didn't know that's what happened. Like, if you, instead of being like, in your head, you have to do a lot of leaps and hurdles to make that yeah. make sense. Yeah, but the thing is, history I, wants to happen some some things i've been watching a lot i have been watching a lot of uh, legends of tomorrow and one of the <laughs> recurring things that they say is that there are some things in history that want to happen especially when you are making uh, a film that's based on some of the most famous characters created by Marvel. And one of those characters is Wolverine. And one of the most famous things about Wolverine is that he has adamantium-coated claws. And the only way that that can happen is if he ends up in the Weapon X program. Right. So, so he gets caught. So then why why did they do... Why did they show you mm. that it wasn't Stryker at the end of the movie? Because they wanted to give you a happy ending rather than, oh, shit, he's been captured. I don't but know. I'm not the script that writer. Ending. That's what I'm saying is it doesn't make any sense. Why did you take the time to say, and this isn't actually Stryker, it's someone pretending to be Stryker, because and it, then not have a payoff to that? There's well, because, no mate, mate, yeah, but there is a payoff in as there's much. Not, there's, you're making up a payoff because in the movie. <laughs> I'm not Apocalypse, making it up at all because the following. Just there. No, because the movie, the, the Apocalypse comes out, and the first thing we see. Literally, the first action that we see is the cage fight between Nightcrawler and Angel and Mystique breaking both of them out and taking Nightcrawler to safety. So they establish at the end of the last movie, admittedly I'm kind of like being the apologist and, and once again kind of playing devil's advocate here because you do make some good points, but I'm just going to counter with the possibilities here. And that possibility is that 
at the end of Days of Future Past, we see Mystique starting out on a path where she is bec- becoming almost like a rallying point, a, a, um, a Che Guevara kind of figure for mutants. And then at the beginning of the next film, Apocalypse, we see her carrying that on. And then later on in the same movie, we see Storm looking at a poster of her, which very much puts her in that kind of freedom fighter, hero to the mutants role. So, you know, I, y- yes... It's entirely possible and likely that they just forgot what the fuck they were doing and they just wanted to bolt a happy ending onto the end of that movie. But it is also possible, and you can't argue it's not possible. I'm not saying it's absolutely what happened, but I'm saying it's possible that when they wrote the end of that movie, they knew where they were going with the next one and they decided to use Wolverine as a way of showing that that was the path that she was on. That's I all I'm saying. I'm not saying. Here's, but then, but but like that's it's one of those things where if you if you watch those movies back to back, there's nothing in Apocalypse that seems to say what that anything transpired between Mystique and Wolverine after the end of that movie. And if she did free him, he ended up in the same, the exact same situation that he would have been mm. if you didn't show that it was Mystique. Well, and, bear I, in and my... it's just a little thing. Yeah. But like to me it's it's one of those things where and I honestly I'm not saying that this is like the worst thing in the world but I'm saying what they what I feel like happened is that they were like and then we'll give we'll we'll show that this is actually we'll reveal that it's actually Mystique yeah. not Striker and we'll say that's another little thing in the timeline that maybe this is, is going to be a little bit different and maybe he's not going to go to Weapon X the same way that he did before or whatever and then mm. they went and made Apocalypse and they were like no, whatever. Because it's not. It's it's. This movie was written by. Hold on. Oh, see, I was gonna. I was like, it, both of these movies are directed or, or were written by Simon Kinsberg. The same person directed, uh, written, wrote both movies. Yes, so it's possible that he last. may have tracked some stuff over. Um, I mean, look, uh, I, 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 I don't he, want us to be going backwards and forwards on this constantly, but I just, you know, the, the, the one other thing that I, I would like to mention regarding this whole thing is that when Wolverine wakes up in the body of his younger self, that younger self will have no memory of anything that happens between then and when he wakes up having been dragged out of a river. He was dragged out unconscious. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that by the time he wakes up, Mystique has rescued him, dumped him on the side of the road, and he just carries on the exact same path as he would have done if Here's what I if, think if, happened. If, if we're, if we're movie gonna if we're happened. gonna come up with our own things, yeah. I think she rescued him as striker and then uh, he went to the bathroom and then she left and then the real striker came up and he was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> I mean, that's possible as well. Absolutely. But, but no, the, you know, the fact he has no memory where... means that it doesn't affect his trajectory or his decision. So he... But it just seems like, like my whole point, this is yeah. like only, this is my point that I'm making. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happens in this film series is everything, if you don't show that it's Mystique, at the end of Days of Future Past, mm. then everything that happens in Apocalypse makes perfect sense. That's exact. We we find Wolverine exactly where he left him. That makes per- his timeline makes perfect sense. Instead, you had that weird thing that you threw in, mm. and it doesn't pay off now because you you made no reference to it in this movie. But and it's, it does like it didn't happen. But and it do, it does fine. still make sense because of the fact that you're not saying that they. they the very beginning of the movie. This is what's frustrating me because there's a nine-year gap. 
Anything could happen. And Stryker is so obsessed with Wolverine, he will track that motherfucker down to the ends of the earth because he's the perfect guy for the project. And nine years is a long time, and it's more than long enough for Stryker to have found him. And, yeah, they don't say... Yeah, but hang on a second. They don't say anything about, oh, well, you know, she rescued him and and then let him go, and then, you know, nine years later, he was found and captured and they did the experiments on him. But, you know, it's possible that that happened. But they don't say one way or the other what happens in those nine years. And so it's completely pointless for us, really, when you think about it, to be even debating it. Because as long as they don't tell us what happened, anything could have happened. But, and okay, and so, therefore, any theory, really, good or bad, is moot. Because until they fill those um, th- those things in, it's basically like C-3PO's red arm. Until they told us <laughs> it was from another droid. No, I'm serious. If they Until they told us the backstory of that red arm, literally, we had no fucking clue where it came from. He might have just lost his arm, or it might have been in a state of disrepair, and he just got a new one. So, okay, really, anything wait, could have happened. Going on that analogy, Yeah, this would be like... If, um, <laughs> this would be like if at the end of, um, Return of the Jedi, yeah, C-3PO lost an arm and he put a red arm and then in, uh, Force Awakens, he's like, this is a different red arm. It's totally new. It's a different story how I got this one, but it looks exactly the same. That's not the analogy at all. Yeah, it I dis- is. No, it's not. I disagree. You, it, it's like this. Like, what happened and what, kind of what you're saying it's like if you took a maze like on the back of a cereal box and it's a big convoluted maze and you started here and the end is like right near it and you took this long winding path around the entire maze yeah. to get to that spot but actually all you had to do is just draw a line right to the spot because it's right there that you didn't have to go through the maze because it was a it was a very straightforward line yeah but guess you what that's basically all of this weird legwork because you already <laughs> you shot exactly what you were going to do with the story. So why put, why take the time to put something in to hint that you're going to do something else that you're not, that you didn't do? Because it was a fun thing to put in. And if you apply that logic to every movie that Hollywood makes, most movies would be about 10 minutes long. So let's not try to apply too much logic. (laughs) It would would make sense. No, because just the plot would make sense. It's like, you're, you're putting this thing in where it's not like, you're, what happens in at the end of Days of Future Past? Um, you pull Wolverine's body out. He's in the hands of Stryker. Yeah, great. End of, end of the movie. We now know what's going on with Wolverine, and we're going into another movie. We're gonna have another movie. We're we're gonna see Wolverine, and he's Weapon X now, and he's in the hands of Stryker. Mm. That's your plot. That's what happened at the end of the last movie, and you are now continuing it. Yeah. Instead, you put you shot the scene where it was Mystique pretending to be Stryker who fished him out of the water. Yeah. And now in the future he's with Stryker. That's what you. That's what happened. That you don't because need to independently. Do no, because independently of everything that happened in that movie, in the nine years intervening, we're going round in circles here, Tyler. We need to stop this soon. But in the nine years intervening, he was captured by the real Stryker. It's not rocket science. It's just you know it is what it is. And also remember that Wolverine and Hugh Jackman were not advertised to be in this movie at all. It was a surprise to pretty there's, much everybody. There was a trailer that had that showed Wolverine's claws in it. I mean, it was... It, to, to my memory, I don't remember hearing anything of that. 
Um, but still, like, it wasn't something that was up front, just like, oh, Hugh Jackman's in this movie. It was something that was very last minute. We didn't know until, you know, later on. Uh, th- there was no guarantees when they made uh, Days of Future Past that he was going to be in that next movie, because the story at the time was he was going to be in one more movie, it was well, going to be the, the third in, in the Wolverine series, and then he was going to quit. And, I mean, I I personally knew that he was in this movie the whole yeah. time. Like from from no no and that, that's fair like enough. That, but a lot of people um, said, were surprised by his inclusion when it came out because not everybody does watch every trailer. But well, if you, you know, if you're what you're saying happened, if like if okay, so Mystique rescues him or whatever, and he goes on this whole path. I would, if that is what we're gonna say is canon and happened, I would prefer it if he wasn't in this movie. Because now I'm all confused as to why you showed us that if it if it didn't have a payoff in the film. Like, it's one of those things that just, it, it's, you... I think it's a fun little cameo, and also it's a way of establishing that yeah, even though... The, not, the cameo's not bad. No, it's not. No, no. It would make but, a lot more sense yeah, but hang, but hang on a sec. Yeah, but hang on a sec. What, what I'm saying is that it's a fun cameo, but also what it does is it establishes, importantly... That the last time we saw Wolverine, he had bone claws, and now he is the Wolverine that we were all introduced to at the beginning of the very, very first movie with adamantium claws. Um, it's it's just a tiny thing. It doesn't necessarily need to be done. But if he turned up in his next Wolverine movie, right, talking about um, all of this uh, stuff about like intervening years, if he turns up in the Wolverine movie, which should be taking place in the new continuity. Um, then busted out adamantium claws. You would be complaining about the fact that well, we never saw him given the adamantium claws. How you know why? Why we're, do we? Because there's not. been like like we, they didn't they didn't show him getting them in this one. I I don't need to see that. I know that that's what happens, and I know that if you end it normal, if you don't do the whole mystique reveal, then I know that he's the next time we see him, he'll probably have adamantium claws. Yeah, that's but they just they him. just wanted a fun little ending where she was springing him and showing that she was still inherently a good person, and you know, it, it's it's just something they did. I I don't they think they that put she was a good person. We didn't know what she I was don't think do. they put any level of thought into it. Certainly exactly. nowhere near the level of thought that we we are putting into it now. But all I'm saying is that I don't have a problem with the way that they set anything out in this third movie with Wolverine involved. I, I had no trouble at all. It's perfectly fine. I think that it's perfectly acceptable for them to expect you to fill in the gaps in the nine years that we've been absent from this universe. And, you know, I, I understand the problem that you have with it and I accept that, but I also accept that there's a lot of people out there, including myself, who have no problem with it because they just kind of look at it and think to themselves, okay, cool, he got captured and now he's got adamantium claws. I mean, he might not even have been captured. He might have gone to Stryker like he did in the original... You know, Stryker could have recruited him just like he did in the original uh, continuity. Because remember, in the original continuity, he's recruited by Stryker and basically he's told, like, we can make you kind of, like, stronger, blah, 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 blah. It's it's the plot of The Wolverine. You know, you, you can watch that film and that's exactly what happens. No one's saying... Because that he uh, necessarily has to be captured, he could have volunteered for it just as easily. But you know, it, it's it's a guessing game, and until they fill those plot points in, if they ever fill them in, I don't think that it's necessarily a worthwhile pursuit 
having spent the last 15, 20 minutes on it <laughs> for us to be debating it necessarily. Um, but I, I accept that it was a problem for you and uh, now we move on to the next. It wasn't really that much of a problem for me. It's just one of those things where it's like... You could have fooled me. No, it, just let me put it like this. Yeah. It, when, you, when we started this conversation... Mm. You told me what you thought happened at the end of the Days of Future Past. And what I remember, thought I remembered. I hadn't seen it since it first came right, out. Right, exactly. And I feel like that's what happened when they made this movie. I think that they just forgot that they did that. I know, no, no. Come on, they... Tyler. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Yeah. It's the guy that wrote both. The guy that wrote Days of Future Past wrote Apocalypse. He knows what he wrote, and he would but have gone back to a, look at he's it. Not, he's not like a screenwriter. This guy is the guy who produces all of the the, the Fox movies. They still have he far too much oversight to leave movies. that. I think that he just didn't... I think that they put that in, and I think that they were like, well, we'll do that, and then maybe we, we'll do something with it down the road. I, and then I think uh... that they were just like... like They looked back and they were like, well, where, where did Wolverine end up? He was with Stryker. I choose, they, to give them, I choose to give them more credit than that, but you know, to each, to each their own. Uh, which is a, a saying that I've been using an awful lot recently. <laughs> Internet okay, so based let me just say really quick, my my uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff is like just kind of nitpicky. I, yeah. I was bummed. I didn't think Apocalypse was a very good villain, and I was bummed because Oscar Isaac's really fucking great, and I feel like mm. he just didn't get a chance to do anything. I think he was um, overpowered. He had so much makeup on his face that it was like, mm. um, so that kind of bummed me out. And... I know. I mean, I I like the fact that they definitely uh, represented him as being a very um, kind of cult figure, uh, like you know, cult of personality. He he's very um, good at talking people round. Um, I I thought that part of his character was really good, but I yeah. think that he was overpowered to the point mm-hmm. that it made it completely unbelievable that anyone could defeat him completely. Yeah, and I don't think he needed to be that powerful. No, he didn't need to be that powerful. Like, the the healing factor thing, I mean, fine, whatever. Um, the, The telekinesis and everything, yeah, great. But you have to, you have to believe that a team of mutants working together could, could, defeat him by themselves without pulling something out of the bag which should have been left for a much later time and we both know what we're talking about and I we, we will both get there very shortly I'm sure uh-huh. but you know I, it's like no fuck it we'll talk about it now like Jean Grey <laughs> um, we, we all know the, the whole Phoenix saga like it, it's a big thing right Yeah. but the thing about the Phoenix saga and something which they're forgetting about is that it's not something which is inherently hers. Like, the the phoenix is uh, an extraterrestrial sentient being. It's almost kind of like a um, a, a symbiotic force. It chooses a host, and it can be a a force of of great good or or great evil, as we we all know. Um, But the way that they keep going back to it, and, I mean, they've only done it twice in X-Men so far, but both times they've chosen to represent it as being a power that is within her and nobody else, which is complete bullshit as far as I'm aware. I mean, someone please you know, tweet at me if I've got this wrong. I have previously copped to the fact that I'm not 100% on all of my comics. I did make that mistake about the, uh, the Flash's Rogues Gallery last week. Mm-hmm. But it's not her power. It's a sentient 
force that chooses her as as its vessel at one point in the comics. Um, Jean Grey went in the comics for many years being a very powerful psychic but with no phoenix abilities and then one day you know, they decided that they were going to kill her off and they were going to do it long form with the whole phoenix saga and it just feels like they're rushing it like there's no need to rush it you're only in the 80s they could make a couple more movies before they get up to modern day and then they could get into this phoenix stuff and maybe they will maybe this will be put on the bat burner and it will kind of be teased over the next couple of movies. But my suspicion is that in the next movie, they're just going to go full force into she's awakened this power and now she doesn't know how to control it properly. And that's a problem because overpowering Apocalypse as much as they did and having her be the only being that could defeat it, now you've got a problem where they couldn't defeat the last big bad and now you've got a new big bad who is just as powerful, if not more so, and the only reason you could beat it last time was because you had this big emotional scene with Wolverine basically disintegrating and regenerating as he walked towards her. Mm-hmm. It's just like, how how does this play out any differently or any more satisfactorily than the third very disappointing X-Men movie where she spent half the film standing in a forest somewhere? <laughs> it's just yeah. very... I, I, I like it. I like the Phoenix. I was I was so happy when they teased it at the end of X Men Two, mm-hmm. but I was just like, the third movie bummed me out, and I've got no faith in them being able to do any better with it this time round if they rush into it as quickly as they're going to. I, I don't know how the you feel. Why? No, yeah, I 100% agree, and I think that the reason why I kind of have like that. I think he just forgot thing about Simon Kinsberg is that this <laughs> is the guy who who led the charge on Fantastic Four. Oh uh, yeah. And I think that he's just, he, when you look at like the good movies that Fox has produced with him involved, I feel like those are the ones that he's been supportive of other people and then just let them go. And the more that he has a physical hand in it, I think that's when it kind of like falls apart. I think that he's much more idea-y instead of like, you know, nailing the, the, the specifics of things like that. And so... To him, I think he's like, well, then we're going to do this, and this is not going to, like, it's going to be the way that it happens, but it's maybe not as nuanced or well as it should have been. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's kind of, like, why there there are just, like, occasional lines of his that are just very, like, producery, like, storyboardy. Like, he's yeah. like, this is what happened. Mm. This is what happened. This what this is what happened. And like I think that's like an issue with his stuff, but um like uh there's so much remember at the end of the Fantastic Four movie how everyone's just describing um yeah, everything that's happening. Yep. There's a moment in this movie when um Rose Byrne's character doesn't recognize Mystique because who's Raven, who just looks normal as Jennifer Lawrence and they obviously met in the first movie. Yeah, I don't understand. You saw me in this form, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that line is so, so, like, so, like, on the nose. (laughs) Yeah. All she had to say was, why didn't she recognize me? Yeah. Instead, she was like, why didn't she recognize me? She saw me look like this before. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I mean, I didn't that second part. You yeah, the first one. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I'm that's kind of what, like how I feel about him. Like, I, feel I don't like, mind that. You I know. Feel, <laughs> no, I feel, but I feel like it's like he. I think that's like the whole 
uh, thing that we just talked about for 15 minutes. I feel like it's just <laughs> I think he just, I think sometimes he just like doesn't see those little minute details. And um, so I, I feel like that's kind of where those little things happen. But I'm not saying yeah. that it's terrible. It's fun. And I, I feel like here's what I would have done with Apocalypse. I think as far as a bad guy is concerned, Hmm. I'll harken back like Kevin Bacon's character in first class was awesome because his power seemed like it's like it's going to be really hard to stop him. And he's amassed a group of people to help him. Yeah. And now you have Charles who's a very powerful um, mutant in his own right and a leader with his own group. And it was a great they nailed the way that they did that uh, finale. Hmm. And it was like one of those things where I it, oh, man, that movie's. <laughs> really fucking good. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things that's so great about it, it's not just that Fassbender and McAvoy are really genuinely good. Are They're great actors, and they're I love watching them play these characters. First Class is, like, my favorite memories of those two together are all in First Class, and it's like, I... the, the, the There are so many emotional moments in First Class. The scene where um, he... Magneto moves the the satellite and is crying and they have the they connect the way that he doesn't want Charles in his brain and they have that whole thing that they yeah. disagree fundamentally on this one thing but that otherwise they love each other and that they're really good together and the way Charles breaks down when Magneto kills Kevin Bacon's character I love that movie and the way that it deals with that kind of emotional stuff and like my favorite part of this movie is the brief flashbacks that they have to those scenes um, but, uh, so yeah, I think that, um, the, the, for me, first class is like, these are these two characters who are really on the surface. This is what they're like. And you explore it so deeply. And then for this, for Days of Future Past, it doesn't really do much with it, and then this movie doesn't do as much as I wanted it to. I just feel like we're like this whole kind of trilogy is just kind of like middling around, um, and not really like finding its groove. And it it's it kind of bums me out that we don't have this Matthew Vaughn led trilogy of movies. Um, I want to see what happens at the end of first class. I feel like we don't really get that in, in Days of Future Past, and I don't think we get it here. And I think Simon Kinsberg is like, we're going to keep jumping decades ahead each movie, and it's going to be – we're going to move all the way up to like X-Men. And I just feel like – I don't think that's the right way to go. I feel like I would much rather see the X-Men go out and fight somebody. And anyways, the whole – um point of all this is that I do feel like Apocalypse is way overpowered. I feel like he's got so many he's he's literally he's literally the Apocalypse instead of uh, figuratively Apocalypse. And that's kind of what I think I would have preferred. I think that Apocalypse is um, in this movie, it's like Apocalypse shows up and he slowly sets about this catastrophic world-ending event. And instead, I like the idea that they tease that he is um, almost that. He is not literally the Apocalypse, but he is something um, 
that represents the apocalypse. Um, and I'm gonna kind of go and like explain that better. Yeah. So, would you agree? Would you agree that, um, like, I I feel like it would have been better if it's, they overpowered him so much. Apocalypse. Yeah. I feel like he is, um, in this movie he's like literally supposed to be the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like instead I would rather him be figuratively the apocalypse, and that this this is a guy who has not only a bunch of different mutant abilities, like a handful of them, maybe you don't need as many as he has. Hmm. Um, I think the, the dirt thing is fine. And, and um, the ability to transfer bodies is interesting and important for like what you, what you try to do. Like, Oh, he can take over bodies and, and takes the powers and he retains them or whatever. But yeah. the most important thing I think is that this is a guy who his main thing should be able to, that he, he can take, four individual mutants make their powers even better and then use them to fight for him. And mm. then that is what, so then you can do what you should have done. I think in this movie, it's is Charles and his X-Men versus apocalypse and his four horsemen. Yeah. I, I think you're right. The, um, the four horsemen should be more formidable as a, uh, a group. Those Probably. should be. That's his power. I yeah. feel like that's at the core. That should be his power. Yeah. Is that like he should be formidable in his own guys better and fight for him. Yeah, he he should be formidable in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but not I, as I, formidable. As yeah, him. I mean, this is the thing. It's like I'm I'm aware of Apocalypse in the, a handful of uh, episodes of of the TV series uh, TV show. Um, so again, I'm kind of showing my knowledge uh, limitations on on the subject. But I never remember him being like so powerful that nobody could stand against him ever. Like there was yeah. always a way that they beat him. Um, but yeah, I, I think as far as the movie goes, like the the best way for for me, as far as how they would have written it, would be that you know the the four horsemen themselves as a unit are much more formidable, and the 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 way to beat them would have been to separate them, to try to turn them against Apocalypse, which happened with a couple of them in, in the movie anyway. Um, but then, you know, the thing is, he, he's so powerful that you get to the point where you're just like, why the fuck does he need a po- uh, like horsemen at all? Exactly. You know, he doesn't need them whatsoever. They're just there to, at that point, I know, like, traditionally he had them, like, leading up to the point that he got the healing factor and everything, and that's understandable because he would need people to look out for him when he was going through the, like, the transference and all that kind of stuff. But literally, they are the only time that they are needed. Is is when he's transferring his consciousness out of one body into another. There's no other time that he needs to have them around because he's so yeah. powerful. Even before the the healing factor, he had all of those other powers, which made him pretty much invincible as it was. And so. I wish that they would have made it a little clearer if he was truly manip- man- <clears throat> manipulating these people, or that he was just like influential. I like they were think, just like because yeah. it's one of those things where I'm not really sure. Like, no, I, th- I think he's just really manipulative to the point yeah. that some of them, like uh, Olivia Munn's character, who I would like to talk about very shortly, mm-hmm. uh, like Psylocke is, is definitely 
one of the characters that it, she was about all about getting more power. Like the moment that she saw how much more powerful he could make her ability, yeah. she was on side because she's basically just a mercenary in this movie. She was in it yeah. for the money, and then she was in it for the power. Um, you look at Storm, and that's very much a case of. Uh, she's doing it because ideologically she was on his side. Like she wanted somebody like Mystique that was on the mutant side and was going to fight for their cause. And I think that she didn't really understand. No, she was manipulated. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I also feel like it's one of those things that eventually you got to be like, okay, this isn't what I thought you wanted to do. But she just kind of like hangs around. Like they all just kind of hang around. Yeah. So yeah. So so that's that. Psylocke and and Storm explained. Uh, Magneto, very very simple. He's basically using the grief that Magneto has for the death of his uh, wife and child, and mm-hmm. he's turning it around and, and using it, um, channeling that anger. And we've seen that he's susceptible to that before with the first movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's not a stretch at all. I thought that that, that made perfect sense, and um, it was really cool seeing his power amplified to the point that he was able to manipulate the Earth itself. Um, and then you've got Angel, who. I think that was literally a case of kind of like Jesus laying hands on the the sick and then them following him because he's healed them of, of their wounds. Because yeah. he he basically took a man oh, who absolutely. was broken because he he had his wings taken from him and he turned him into not only did he like repair his wings, he made him better. And Angel was like he was held captive and made to fight in this cage and stuff yeah. like that. So, he yeah. has so again, he has an axe to grind against mankind. So I get that. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where I feel like maybe it would have been it would have been nice if it was easier to sway Magneto at the end of the movie. But like, I, honestly, I, I'm kind of bummed that they decided to not actually... Like, the way you set up his arc in the movie is mm-hmm. he's gone away and he's started a new life and a new family. He does something good to save somebody's life, gets cast out because of it, and they kill his whole family admittedly by accident but they he's angry yeah. and he gets kind of manipulated because his family's gone and he's loose and Charles is like your family's here we're your family come be with us we will help you yeah. you don't have to do this and to me something that they hint at that I think would have truly been powerful for Magneto in the moment was finding out that Quicksilver was his son yeah, and it doesn't have to be from him. I almost feel like I like the fact that he doesn't tell him he's could and doesn't. Mm. But I would have been. It would have been nice if Magneto was, or, or if, if um, if you would have had something like a moment where Mystique, for instance, who knew that Quicksilver was the son and mm. knew that he didn't tell him when he could have, and she says, "You know, that's your kid, yeah, and that's why he's here, is to get you back." Because he, because for some reason, despite so much proof to the contrary, he actually believes that you're a good person, hmm. and that could be that moment where he finally realizes that he needs to stop what he's doing. Yeah, I mean and, that felt like a really simple really, way of doing it, and maybe that's why they went against that because they but needed it's emotional. him. It, it, it is emotional, no, absolutely. But I, dealing with. maybe I feel like I would have liked to see something. Not maybe you don't go as precise as that, but yeah. I. I it's one of those things where I really would have liked to see his arc was he lost his family, come back, we're your family. Not yeah. you don't have to do but this, is he's not that, your family. Is that as strong as him turning back to the the right side because it's the right thing to do and he knows really that he he always knew that what he was doing was was not right. 
like you know from a storytelling perspective when you've got a guy that is constantly flipping between good and bad it's always better to have them come back to the right side of things because he knows it's the right thing to do rather than oh look back up baby or, see i would know. no see i would do it it's not backup, baby. It's not like, oh, this is going to replace your kid. It's, it's. But that's this, how it would have come guy, across. No, it's no, because what it is is, it's more specifically. Um, it's not. Oh, you look. You still have a, a a child, even though you thought you lost your child. Here's another one that you have. It's this, this. We believe in you, hmm. and this guy. This guy is your son. And despite the fact that you've never been around for him, and despite the fact that everyone says you're a bad person, this guy came here because he thought that he could get through to you. Yeah. Because he thinks you're a good person. Mm-hmm. Even though you haven't shown it, he he still actually thinks that you can be good, just like we all do. Come with us because we believe in you as a person. That that is that's the difference. It's not, oh, this guy's your kid. So you should come be with us. It's this guy is your kid and also has come here to this very dangerous thing to try to convince you to stop doing it yeah. because he believes in you. And I think even though he shouldn't, but he does. And I like that idea. And it seemed like they were teasing it, but they didn't really go through with it. And mm. it's, I'm kind of bummed because I think that was a, a actually story wise, a really cool way to have him mm. Mm. turn on, on apocalypse. And yeah, um, I guess they're holding on to that for another time. Like, yeah, but, but I'm afraid that, like, just like the Phoenix thing, they're just gonna they're saving it, and then when they actually do it, it's not gonna be yeah. effective. I mean, but, that, that's always but, the risk. But speaking of Quicksilver, everything. Yeah, I him, wanted to talk about this. <laughs> I love, I love his character. I love the fact that it is. Did you ever see the movie Clock Stoppers? Uh, I don't think I did. No. It's a Nickelodeon movie from the early 2000s, and Quicksilver, his superpower in the in, for the in the comics specifically is that he just moves really fast. He runs really fast. Um, in these in these movies, his ability is that he has the same ability as the character in Clockstopper. He gets a he gets a watch that slows down time so slowly that it is as if time has stopped, but mm-hmm. isn't. Which is seems to be his exact power. Uh, I mean, that's that his the... body is moving just yeah. in general so fast. His, like his on a molecular the... level that it's it's not like he's he's runs fast. It's like he just his whole body seems to move into a different plane. Yeah, because it, it he slows everything down, which is cool. I love clock stoppers, and I think that's one of the reasons <laughs> why I love his character is yeah. that um, he is so calm because he knows he's like so fast, and I think that. The other cool thing about not only is his kind of big scene uh, fun, but then when um, he uh, his his arc, which I I wish it was more important. I wish that they truly would have you know done what I said, even though I'm you know a dummy. Um, I think that that would have been a really cool way of paying off his whole thing, which mm. you know that scene where where his mom says, I know you're thinking about going, I know you're watching this stuff and you're thinking about doing something about this. And he is, and that's why he leaves. And she's like, don't bother. Cause he's not a good person. Hmm. But he and, believes otherwise. Yeah. And I, mean, I really think that if is... that was actually what happened, if that was, even though he's been told endlessly his whole life that you're bad news, he still came out here hmm. because he thinks that you're a good person and that he can get through to you. And I, think I think that that, 
that sentiment yeah. would be enough to sway him. And I, I love that that he's that naive and, and truly believes that. And I love his power. And I love the scene when he gets to beat the shit out of Apocalypse for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I was hoping because that that's the good. thing. So you could even have him. You, I mean, you could have him. The moment Magneto truly turns on Apocalypse is that moment when he's attacking Quicksilver in that way. I thought they were going to do that, but of course he doesn't know that it's his son, so he doesn't have a connection to him. But I think that that would have been a really powerful moment for him to see this guy believes in him mm. and this other guy is is destroying him and that being the moment where he switches sides. I do like that, as stupid as it is, but mm. it, I one of my favorite parts in the movie was when Magneto threw the 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 one steel beam and then the other one to make an X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was cool. Um, the the thing I enjoy about Quicksilver's power is the fact that it does have that duality where, and this is something that they do in the Flash to an extent, but not quite as much. He's yeah, like you said, like he's moving super super quick, but then when you see it from his perspective and everything's slowing down, um that does kind of open the possibility to... Remember when um, when Days of Future Past came out and one of the kind of little nitpicking things that people mentioned was, well, how come he's hearing the music at the at the normal speed? He'd have to be playing that like on fast forward to just hear it at the right speed for it to work with the scene. And it's like, well, yeah, if he's moving super quick in regular time and space, then yeah, that makes perfect sense. But... They've never truly kind of explained how his power works. So it could be that he creates this field around himself that slows time, like all time outside of his personal space is slowed. And that would explain why the music is moving at normal speed. Because well, it also explains why when he plays video games, they move faster too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's so many possibilities with that power. It's a really interesting power to kind of play around with. And also, I think that the the comedy gold that they came up with in that scene at the mansion, um, mm-hmm. that scene was almost worth the price of admission by itself. Everything about that was perfect. The choice of music, uh, the way that he came up with these ingenious uh, ways of saving people, uh, catching the fish in the fish bowl and putting it in the girl's hands. Mm-hmm. The dog, when he's carrying the dog out of the place and you see the dog's perspective and it's just like when you see Quicksilver running and he gets that thing that you get on roller coasters where his cheeks are being pushed in by the air pressure and then you see the dog and his lips are just flapping like he's got his head out of a car and the look on its face was just absolutely perfect I just loved everything about that scene Uh, wrapping people up in in in, in bedspreads and throwing them out of the window and setting up kind of sheets tied to the trees thinking, right, I'm going to throw these people out the window and, and they're going to get caught by that. Just everything was so well worked out. and But also it kind of showed the limit of his power because he was getting to everybody at literally the last second. Um, there was no wasted time. Like if he took time, more time than he did with certain uh, characters, uh, everyone else would have been dead. But it was just this perfect uh, thing, perfect storm where he turns up completely out of the blue and he's just like, huh, and just runs into the mansion and he suddenly realises something's wrong and he just doesn't even miss a beat. He goes into the basement and he starts moving stuff around to make sure people don't get hit by shrapnel. And yeah, It's just really fucking well done. And 
I didn't think it would be possible to outdo the scene from Days of Future Past, but somehow they did it. Um, and if this becomes like a regular thing in every movie, I won't be unhappy. I think it's it's a really, really cool scene. And like you mentioned, when he's beating up Apocalypse, that was getting some really strong reactions in the that cinema hilarious. that I was watching. Yeah, because it's like Quicksilver is not the sort of character that you think, oh, he's all-powerful, he could take anybody on. But when you see him doing that, you're just suddenly like, oh, shit. Like, actually, he could take anybody. He's that quick. Most people couldn't activate their powers in the time it would take him to basically knock them the fuck out. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's a really, really strong character. Uh, so much better than the Avengers version. Um, and, you know, I'm so glad that despite the uh, rough reception that he initially got on Days of Future Past with his look, with the silver jacket and everything, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that they stuck mm-hmm. with him because it, honestly, I didn't. it didn't even bother me what he was wearing in this movie. I was just like, yeah, it's Quicksilver. Yeah. Um it, the only the only thing that I would say um is just like an unfortunate side effect is that the comedy in that scene, as fun as it is, it does kind of like I think under um what's the word? It kind of undermines the, the significance of the Havoc. death of Havoc. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who Which is a shame, but it's it's also one of those things where it's I, it's also another thing where if he completely had like he, like he just he wouldn't have been able to save him anyways yeah. and it just it was, was so a close to the blast yeah like by the time <laughs> he got down there he couldn't see havoc that was how late he was because well, no, he's because havoc was already gone he, oh he was enveloped by the flames yeah he was like yeah, closest to the jet um yeah. the uh, havoc you mentioning his name it brings up one of my main issues which sounds like such a a really kind of nitpicky thing but it really did kind of like take me a couple of seconds to come to terms and and just accept it and move on and it's this we established very early on today that there is a 20 year window between the beginning of first class and this movie Um, it's 11 years between first class and uh Days of Future Past, and it's nine years between Days of Future Past and um, Apocalypse. So these characters have aged 20 years. Now, Havoc was, what, like 16 in the first movie? Yeah. So he's 36 now. Yeah. They're all all supposed to be so much older than they look. Yeah, he he doesn't look anything near that. And... I, while I I, I I happily I will accept that with certain characters, Mystique can look however the fuck she wants. She mm-hmm. gets away with it. Yeah. Um. I think that Magneto and uh, Professor X, because they are older actors already, they can just about get around it because they're you know they weren't that young when the film franchise yeah. started. They get away with it. But when you're looking at characters like Hank, um when you're looking at people, you know, like uh, Havoc, it's very difficult to just think to yourself, hang on, what the fuck? Why do you look about 23? You should be, like, late 30s. You should have a family by now. You should have wrinkles and bags under those eyes. Like, what the what the fuck? And if they were just like, oh, well, you know, all mutants have um, reduced aging. Like, you know, they have a special gene which reduces aging. It's a common thing amongst all mutants. Um, If that was just something that was a thing, that would be fine. But there's been no mention of it. And I know I'm being kind of like, 
I'm kind of being contrary to that whole thing where I said like in nine years, you know, they didn't mention anything, yeah. but that's fine. We fill in the blanks. This is one of those kind of deal breakers where it's a, it's a suspension of disbelief moment, and it would just be handy even if it was just mentioned in the tiniest little line, just something, you know, like. Uh, what's her face turns up um, Rose Burns character turns up Rose Burns. and she looks no different he even says you look no different to how you did 20 years ago yeah. she would look at least a little bit different she's had a kid and it's been 20 years like they didn't have brilliant anti-aging products in the 70s and 80s they didn't so I, I don't know and she's not a mutant she hasn't got any like <laughs> there is no excuse yeah. And I, again, I know it's a nitpicky thing, but it's just something that for me, they could have just done a little bit of makeup effects on Havoc at least, just to show, yeah, look, this yeah. guy got a bit older. And, you know, Rose Byrne's character, she could have just had slightly, you know, just do something a little bit. I, I don't know what, but just do something that might just make her look a tad older. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. It, I know it's a weird thing to have a hang up about, but when you're doing stories about characters over the course of 20 years, and then, you know, this is off the back of Harry Potter, which they did eight films in eight years. And mm-hmm. those characters from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone all the way through to the final movie, they look so fucking different. And they looked different yeah. every single year. It's, I don't know, it, it's just something I wish they might have spent slightly more time on. But yeah, you know, I, it's it doesn't it didn't affect my enjoyment of the film that much. It was literally like a two second thing, and I was like, ah, fucking get over it. It's a movie, and it was good. But yeah, it it just it bothered me for a a minute, for a hot minute. Yeah, one of the <laughs> things when I was rambling when you were gone. Yes, um, sorry about that. Hope, by the way, I hope people realized what's happening. Honestly, because I was just sitting there like <laughs> trying to like not go too far into what I was gonna say because I wanted you to actually hear what I was talking about. Yeah, but um. One of the things I said is that, like, I'm bummed that we didn't, like, I wish Matthew Vaughn was, like, still doing this franchise. Like, I, I'm I'm bummed that he left. I yeah. like Kingsman, so I'm happy that he, he got to do that, but, like, and he's going to keep doing it. But I kind of bummed that I didn't get to see his trilogy, which definitely doesn't feel like this is the same thing. And I've and it's kind of a bummer, but at the same time, uh, we always have first class, so I can always go back and watch how good that movie is and enjoy it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And uh, on that bombshell, to steal a line from Top Gear, sadly <laughs> no longer with us under the <laughs> the captainship of the uh, the three original wise men. Well, not maybe not quite so wise as we thought they were. Um, that will do it for this week. Um, come back immediately, because for once we've actually got two episodes going up at the same time. Episode mm-hmm. 10, entitled Tyler Saw Everything, is funnily enough about the year that Tyler saw everything. Uh, you saw 109 movies last year, Tyler. Yep. And, and now we're <laughs> going to talk about every single one of them. Absolutely. So uh, next up, episode 10 of the BS cast. I believe we're going to be talking through episode... Uh, not episode, sorry. Uh, we're going to be talking through entries number 109 through 90. Uh, Tyler did put up a poll on Twitter asking if people wanted him to go from best to worst or vice versa and the uh, the poll was fairly unanimous in that they wanted to hear what your least favourite movies were first so that's what we're going to do so um, come back immediately and <laughs> uh, we will uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon and, but until then, uh, thanks for putting up with our bullshit